Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. It's always good to see you. Good to see you live streaming as well. We've chosen to connect via online. And what an opportunity. So, indeed. Hey, if you're uh, streaming on our church website, uh, you want to go to the video player, there's a link that you can download the notes outline. If you're on the church Facebook, there's a link in the comments section as well. So um, just to give you a, a heads up on that as well. So what a beautiful day. Indeed. We've been uh, started through the book of First Thessalonians last Sunday and we got through chapter one. Today we're uh, transitioning into chapter two. So if you need a Bible, we've got some on the back table. We want to give you a time to get at home to grab your Bible as well. It's always good to have it and read it and apply it to your lives. We've got uh, Bible reading plans in the foyer. And uh, I've been on a Bible reading plan for uh, 40 years plus. It's, it helps me stay on track and... Um, I want to encourage you to do the same, man. Uh, it's good to stay in the Bible, read it, and apply it to your lives. So, in, in October 19th, um, 1911, that was a while ago, uh, Renald Edmondson headed up a Norwegian team to race to the South Pole. Uh, in case you never saw his picture on your refrigerator, we thought it would help you out there. Robert Scott directed a team from England. Uh, it's a team of five men. They use skis and dog sleds uh, with 16 dogs. The two expeditions were uh, identical challenges and uh, identical terrain. They endured the same freezing temperatures and challenging environment. They had equal access to the technology and equipment of that day. Yet... Edmondson and his team reached the South Pole 34 days ahead of Scott. And you might ask, how in the world did that happen? Well, I'll tell you. What was the difference? Edmondson chose to travel 15 to 20 miles every single day. Good weather, 15 to 20 miles. Bad weather, 15 to 20 miles. No more, no less. Always 15 to 20 miles. Scott, by contrast, was very irregular. He pushed his team to exhaustion in good weather, and he stopped the team in bad weather. The two men had two different philosophies and two different outcomes. Edmondson won the race without losing a man. Scott lost not only the race, but he lost his life and the lives of all his team members in the process. So here it is. Don't let crises paralyze you. Don't let bad weather shut you down, friend. Some of you are facing bad weather in your life right now. Aren't you? You can put a name on it. You can see the face. You can see the situation. And the enemy wants to shut you down. Proverbs 4, 26, 27 on the bottom of your outline puts it this way. Mark out a straight path for your feet 
Stay on the safe path. In other words, don't be jumping on, jumping off. Good weather, you're on. Bad weather, you're off. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. The way I see this, uh, Solomon's saying, keep putting one foot in front of the other every single day. 15 to 20 miles, good weather, bad weather. You're staying on the path, man. You're staying on the path. We need to follow. What, is, uh, what does Edmondson have to say? Let's, uh, I don't know, did you see that already? We arrived, planted our flag at the geographical South Pole. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he is helping you and I to stay on that path every single day. Now, yesterday I, <laughs> I, went, it, I went into my backyard and uh, we've got a, mm, a variety of flowers that Debbie's picked out, you know, back in the spring. Uh, I've got some in the front, etc. Our next door neighbor, they did the same thing in the spring. Both their flowers are flowers. Beautiful. I looked at their flowers yesterday, and they're all dead. They're dead. You know why? Because they didn't water them. Now, you may blow this off and think, you know what, being a follower of Christ, it's very complicated. I'll tell you something. It's not complicated. It's very basic. It's very simple. You let God live his life through you. You stay in, in a relationship with him every day, 15 to 20 miles a day, good weather, bad weather, and your relationship will remain vibrant. Maybe you'll have doubts. That's okay. You keep walking. The simple rhythm is you need to water those flowers every single day. Because if you don't, they're going to die. Just like you and I, we need to water the flowers of our soul, man, every single day. Spend time in God's presence. Because Robert Scott found out, man, pushing his dudes to the limit in good weather, taking time off in bad weather, it doesn't get you where you want to go, does it? You don't get to the finish line. God wants you and I to finish strong, and he wants us to cross the finish line in life. Stay consistent. And so this morning, as we go to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 2, let's pick it up um, in, in verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses. First Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 1. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we are not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Yo! That's it right there. We could st- I could go up. We won't. We'll, we'll keep pushing through here. 
He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Man, that is so good. Let's talk to the Lord, and as we do, we want to remember Debbie Richards. Her father passed away last week, the wake and funeral, or Tuesday in Dodgeville. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you. It's nourishment for our soul. It keeps us on that path. Keeps us consistent with you, Lord. You, man, I I think of a couple people right now. Their faces right in front of me. How it looked like they were going to crash and burn, and yet you intervene in their lives. And it's a miracle, Lord. It's simply a miracle, the transformation that's taken place in their lives. You want to do that in each one of us as well. Do it, Lord, today. We pray for Debbie Richards and her family as they grieve the loss of her father. Comfort them in the great name of Jesus. May your peace rule and reign in their home. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, you've got your outline and, and you can track along with us. Last week we mentioned that uh, you can go to uh, Thessalonica. Today it's called Thessaloniki. Um, it's there on the map. Uh, it's there in real life. It's not a fantasy. It's not a cartoon, friend. It is the real deal. The Bible is the real deal, and you can base your life on it. Thessaloniki is an important industrial and commercial city right now in modern Greece. And Paul and his companions probably arrived in Thessaloniki in the early summer of A.D. 50. They planted the first Christian church in that city, but had to leave because their lives were being threatened. And I'll tell you what happened. The religious community in Thessalonica in the day became jealous because you know what? People started putting their faith in Jesus. <laughs> and and life change was so evident that these religious looters were losing a grip on who they thought they had for a lifetime. And so, because of jealousy, they, they threatened the lives of Paul and Silas. So they, had a, they took off. And in Acts 17, um, uh, some good reading as well, Acts 17 kind of gives you a background uh, to the church at Thessalonica. If you want more information, that's the backstory that gives you an accurate picture. So Paul writes this letter to the church. It's a young church, uh, probably from Corinth in AD 51. And the first opportunity he had there, he probably sent Timothy, who was a young man, back to Thessalonica to check up on the church to see how they were doing. And Timothy came back to Paul and he said, thumbs up, Paul. 
the church is thriving, even in the midst of hardship and suffering and persecution, man. Uh, they love Jesus. And their lifestyle is impacting the city, not only the city, but around the world. And so Paul takes an opportunity to write a letter to, to say, hey, church, thumbs up. Great that you're keeping your eyes on Jesus in the midst of tough times. And the church had some questions in the process, expectedly, you know, a young church, young believers. Um, and so Paul was addressing those questions throughout this book. So here we are. And just a footnote, uh, Thessalonica was 50 miles away from Mount Olympus. We hit that last week. And for all of you Greek mythology freaks, <laughs> Zeus, uh, et cetera, et cetera, 13 gods and goddesses, um, uh, that was the big deal in that culture. And so um, these, you know, again, um, idols, Mythical gods, they don't breathe air like you and I. They're, they're made of stone, hay, clay, whatever the case may be, wood. And so the church put their faith in a living God instead of these Greek mythology gods and their lives were changed. Now, last week, um, I mentioned to you that I've been going through the book of Isaiah and I, I, I read Isaiah 44 just a couple days ago and I thought, man, this nails what the church in Thessalonica, that's why you want to have your Bible, by the way, to you, so you can go to Isaiah 44. And um, there we are, there we are. If you don't have your Bible, you can track right here. So here it is. Picking up in verse 6b, this is what the Lord says, and he's, he's talking to his people that have worshipped idols instead of him. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Do you agree with that? There is no other God? Is there a God displacing the one true God in your life right now? Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? And he answers the question, no, there isn't. There is no other rock, not one. All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a God. Then he's talking about these people that are making these gods. He, he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself, bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my god. Listen, listen, this is what God says about that nonsense. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed. They cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat, used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. 
He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? People today are living in deception, and they think if they don't serve the one true God, they can get by. And maybe initially it looks like everything's cool, but I'm telling you, there's coming a day when they will stand before the one true God and give an account of their life. And it's sad, people never pause long enough to ask the question, is this a lie that I'm believing? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany in the 1930s said, my parents trained their children to think critically. That simply means if it's not true, you investigate. If, if you think it's true, you investigate. You dig down and you find out the truth. America needs to think critically right now. You and I need to think critically. critically. And I'll tell you what, man, reading the Bible, it is true. It is truth. I'm so glad I don't have to ask the question, is God a lie? Is he lying to me? No, he isn't. He is not. Number one in your notes, courage needed. Verses one and two, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Paul's referring to his first visit to Thessalonica. Again, you go back to Acts 17, you realize that uh, he was driven out of that city, he and, and Silas, because of uh, an attempt to be killed. And um, I don't know what Paul and Silas, what kind of conversation they were hap- having when they were on their way to Berea from Thessalonica. Do you think it was, uh, you know, Silas, it, it might be easier to try a different line of work. Because <laughs> it seemed like no matter where they went, they went to Philippi. And, they, and Paul and Silas were stuck in a dungeon way down in the earth. They were whipped, beaten, stuck in shackles. They go to Thessalonica, man, they want to get killed there. So they go to Berea. And the Jewish Religious community follows them there to threaten their lives. It seemed no matter where they went, trouble was facing them. Hey, hey, Silas, let's call it quits, man. Let's get off the path. There's too much pushback on my life right now. You know, there's a storm, man. I, in a storm, I need to chill. No, 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 you keep going. Paul is saying you keep going through it. And the Jews took up this occasion, even when Paul and Silas took off to Berea, they still got on television and through the radio and Twitter, man. They were saying, Paul and Silas are a bunch of phony baloney dudes, man. That's not right. But through it all, the church, the church realized that Paul and Silas had been faithful. They were the real deal. Their character proved it. You know how badly you've been treated in Philippi. We, we told you about that. 
how much we suffered there. Yet, yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad somebody had the courage to tell you about Jesus? Hmm? Yes, indeed. We're grateful. And so this courage didn't come from Paul himself. He realizes that. Notice he's very clear. Verse 2b, he says, God, God, our God, not a God, our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Paul is saying, man, it didn't come from me. I didn't eat a bowl of courage, you know, for breakfast, you know, to work it all up. No, no, no. It all came from God. Courage was the prerequisite for the results that happened in Thessalonica. If Paul would have pulled back, withered away in the midst of pushback, opposition, the church would have never been planted in that city. Yeah. God is real. God is real. And here's the deal. Paul and Silas, it says in, in Acts 17, 7, they were guilty of treason against Caesar. For they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Who, who are you swearing allegiance to today? Hmm? going on in the world right now. People are being asked to swear allegiance to our culture, you know, to a variety of things. And King Jesus gets put in a closet somewhere. My friend, it is imperative that King Jesus is your king. He's got your allegiance. He needs that. He wants that. Because it's, it's a great relationship. Boldness requires courage to press through our fears. Man, we, great worship, great singing today, man. He, that fear is gone. Boldness requires courage to press through the fears to do what's right. It does. How can we be more bold? It's a good question, isn't it? Have you ever wondered, how can I be more bold? Well, we're told in Acts 4, 23-24, Peter and John had been told, you stop talking about Jesus. Okay, okay, we will. No, they didn't do that. They returned to the believers and, and they told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they had heard the report, all the believers lifted up their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, oh sovereign Lord creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You created me too, Lord. Thank you for that. Verse 29, and now, oh Lord, you, you can almost feel that prayer being sent, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word, Lord. Do it. We need it. Verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. You want to be bold for God? You got to spend time in his presence. 
You want to talk about isolating yourself? Isolate yourself with God. Get away from all the stuff that's hitting the fan right now. Man, you've got to be intentional about it. Spending time in God's presence and he will give you boldness and courage. Because he's bold like a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Billy Graham put it this way, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. I was reminded of, I, I went through Second Chronicles a month ago or something, and putting this together, it, a couple verses kind of flashed. And I think it, I think it enforces what, what Paul's talking about here. In Second Chronicles 23.1, in the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, he's the king, Jehoiada, the priest, decided to act. He summoned his courage and made a pact with five army commanders. Second Chronicles 25.11, then Amaziah summoned his courage and led his army to the Valley of Salt where they killed 10,000 Edomite troops from Seir. There is something, and, and I've been challenged in my own personal life. As you know, men historically are passive. You can all go all the way back to the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam was passive, allowing his wife, Eve, to eat the fruit. And he stood by saying, is she going to die after eating the fruit? Passivity. And men, we need to step on that. Summon, they summoned the courage within them. They, they dug down inside when they needed to be strong and bold and going against the grain. They summoned their courage, man. In other words, there's a well down here. They dropped the bucket down into the well and they pulled up courage to do the right thing. And that's what God is waiting for in your life and my life. He wants us to dig down deep and summon the courage and do what's right for him. Is somebody playing a violin right now or what, man? I can't hear you. It's true, man. It's true. In John 15, 18, Jesus said this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. So no big deal. No big deal. Sooner or later, those words are going to, you know, they're going to happen to all true followers of Christ. Notice, uh, what do we do in the face of opposition and indifference? We refuse to be intimidated. We keep on praying. We keep on keeping on, like Edmondson up in the South Pole, man. You just keep on keeping on. I get it. I get it. It's easy to get discouraged right now. I get it. Frustrated big time. Man, you have to keep keeping your eyes on Jesus through it all. Yeah. 
Galatians 6, 9, let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Somebody put it this way, that the real measure of a person is what it takes to stop you. When you're in a storm, when you're in whatever the case may be, man, a tough place, that's a great time to find out what you're made of. Yep. Voice of the Martyrs put out a newsletter last week. This is what they said. Despite effects of the coronavirus in China, the communist government has continued to close churches, arrest pastors, and disrupt online meetings. But Chinese Christians have responded with boldness, finding new ways to spread the gospel amid the pandemic and persecution. The church in China, man, it's thriving right now in the midst of severe persecution. Number two, live with integrity, verse three and four. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. And to dial into the culture of that day, uh, Leon Morris uh, did his homework, and he's painting a picture of the culture when Paul was writing this. He said, there has probably never been such a variety of religious cults and philosophic systems as in Paul's day. Oriental mysteries, Greek philosophy, local gods competed for favor under the tolerant auspices of Roman indifference. Holy men of all creeds and countries, popular philosophers, magicians, astrologers, crackpots and cranks, the sincere and and the righteous and the rogue, swindlers and saints, jostled and clamored for the attention of the credulous and the skeptical. In other words, it was a mess. Can we paraphrase what Paul just said? You know, it's a mess, man. It was, it, it was a culture of all kinds of nonsense. People fighting for position. Yeah. So, Paul mentions three ways in which his team was not preaching in verse 3b. So, so the Jewish leaders were accusing them of this, and they said, no, no. You can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. First deceit, they didn't preach with deceit. They weren't trying to lead the Thessalonians down the wrong path. Although they had been accused of telling lies, Paul knew they taught the truth alone. Second, impure motives. They did not teach with impure motives. Impure. In the Greek, it carries the idea of sexual sin, sensuality. It also refers to greed or pride entering in. Paul and his team were men of integrity. And finally, trickery. It's an interesting word. They were accused of using trickery. It it comes from the waterfront, and it means to bait the hooks. To bait the hooks. In other words, they were accused of baiting hooks to pull people where you know, to bring them where they wanted them to go. Paul was not baiting the hook. Paul gave these believers 
a deeper understanding of the certain issues of faith, and that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then the second, that Jesus was coming back again. Do you know he's still coming back again? Okay, all right, all right, good, good. Paul's saying we didn't use trickery. No, we didn't. And to, to turn this, these accusations upside down, Paul is saying you can see that we were preaching a message that is true, with motives that were pure, with methods that were completely honest. Yeah. Billy Graham was noted for his integrity and back in 1947 when he first began traveling, he and his team got together in Modesto, California, and they discussed the pitfalls by those who traveled traveled speaking about Jesus Christ. They, there were reputations about people that traveled and, 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 the, and the traps that they tended to fall into. And they, they identified four. One, misuse of money. Number two, sexual immorality. Number three, exaggeration of results. And four, criticism by other ministries. And so they resolved that they would conduct regular financial audits, that they would never travel or dine alone with a woman outside their families, that they would rely on independent confirmation of attendance at their meetings, and four, emphasize areas of agreement rather than disagreement with other ministries. And Paul says in verse 4, we speak as messengers approved by God. Speak. That, that's in the present tense in the Greek, and it indicates that they're speaking actively continued, and they would not be silenced by ops, ops, opposition. They would not be silenced by that. That's speaking. They'd keep speaking. 15 to 20 miles a day. Not stopping when the weather went bad. No, no. And approved, that word approved is cool. They were approved by God. In other words, they were tested. God tested to see if their faith was true. You want to know sometimes why we go through opposition, why we have trouble in life? Because we're being tested to see if our faith is genuine. It's the real deal. And it's good to know, man. It's good to know. So, Galatians 1.10 says, obviously, Paul says, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. How about that? How's that going for you, friend? Who are you serving? Hmm? Who's number one in your life? Who's got your attention? Where do you spend most of your time? If you're serving people, I'll tell you what, you're going to have a headache. <laughs> if you're serving Jesus, mm, he's the only one you have to please. I tell you what, it simplifies life. It really does. It sure does. Colossians 1.10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Yeah. That's, I was thinking of, I saw a, a documentary a few years ago, and this is before the um, United States has kind of been exposing the corruption in China and how China's embedded itself in our businesses and our universities 
stealing technology. It's being exposed right now. Well, before that hit the fan, they were interviewing Chinese businessmen in China, and they said, you know what? We have a very hard time trusting each other. You know why? Because God's not in the equation. If God's not in your life or in a business life, you can cheat and steal and go to sleep at night. And these own Chinese businessmen were saying, we can't, we're struggling in our businesses because we can't trust each other. That's communism. When communism hits a country, it evades, it pushes God out. And yet you've got the underground church in China that's thriving right now. Glory be to God. During World War II, missionary John Wolfinger took a stand personally that personifies character, integrity. Wolfinger was leading a group of about 100 Christian converts to Borneo. And when the Japanese military occupied the island, they took control of it. They sought to arrest missionaries and execute them. And Wolfinger's followers devised a plan to hide him in the mountains until this threat passed by. Wolfinger says, no way. He said, by running away from my captors, it would be giving these new converts the wrong picture of God. When they urged him further, he explained that when the Japanese asked where he was hiding, his followers would have to lie. And that was unacceptable. So rather than risk leaving his followers with a compromised picture of God's character, Wolfinger stayed, he was captured, and he was executed. Wolfinger recognized that lying, regardless of the circumstance, did not meet God's approval. At the expense of his life, he maintained the will to do what was right in the eyes of God. How's that going for you? You find lying easy to do? Hmm? Is it easy to lie? In fact, you don't even think about it anymore because it's become such a stronghold, a habit in your life. Please, please stop and think the choices you're making. And so... Number three, mask-free, verse five, never once did we try to win you with flattery, as well as you know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. I like the way the message puts this. It says, we never use words to butter you up. No one knows that better than you, and God knows we never use words as a smokescreen to take advantage of you. So Paul was addressing the accusations that you know, his motives were impure, They were compromised. And Paul was saying, my life is an open book. There is no mask in front of me where I'm pretending to be somebody that I'm not. I'm not hiding behind a mask. I'm living a life mask-free. Paul realized that his accusers were accusing him of flattery. You know, the smokescreen. Saying nice words to people to get you know, a pat on the back or get that next promotion or, you know, you weasel your way in and through life. Mm. People with integrity have nothing to hide. That's what Paul is saying here. We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to fear. 
We're not hiding behind masks, pretending to be somebody that we're not. Are you hiding behind a mask in your life? Are you true to yourself when nobody's looking? Are you the same person in the dark as you are in the light? Paul is saying, yes, I am. And so should we. Number four, be a God pleaser. Verse six. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anybody else. Paul, Silas, spoke the truth in Thessalonica. No flattery to try and gain converts. No hidden motives to, you know, build themselves up. Had they desired the praise of human beings, um, I was thinking about this as people who are insecure always need affirmation. They always need to follow the crowd because they don't have the backbone to stand alone. The, we, we sang that song at the tail end, another perfect song. <laughs> I am a child of God. Paul and Silas recognized the simple fact that they were children of God, adopted into his family. Their identity was secure. They didn't have to prove anything to anybody. They didn't need affirmation from the crowd to make themselves feel better about themselves. They weren't looking for it. A secure man and woman don't need a pat on the back from the world. They've got the smile of God on his face as he stands before you. And he says, I'm proud of you, my son and daughter. Boom! I'm telling you, man, there's too much compromise in the body of Christ today. Randy Elkhorn nailed it. He said, to be a follower of Christ, you need to be willing to be hated. Among some believers, the new definition of a good Christian is holding your beliefs privately, not challenging those who publicly share beliefs that dishonor Christ. We so much want the world to like us that we end up distancing ourselves from the historic Christian faith. We end up making ourselves indistinguishable from the world and therefore have nothing to offer the world. It's not our job to be popular. We are not contestants on American Idol. We are not Christ speechwriters or PR team airbrushing Jesus so he has a greater appeal to people who don't want to hear what he has to say about sin and hell. He's the king. He calls the shots. We're just his ambassadors. So let's represent the real Jesus, the whole Jesus, not just the culturally accepted one. It's not gracious and kind to withhold the gospel from those who, according to Jesus, are going to hell without him. Sometimes what we imagine to be our graciousness and kindness is actually indifference and cowardice. Jesus said in Mark 13, 13, all men will hate you because of me. My friend, there's a price. And we need to choose, I'm going to be a God pleaser, not a people pleaser. I'm going to push the button. I'm going to be a God pleaser no matter what. 
Focus. We need to focus on pleasing the Lord, doing the right thing. And if we live to please the Lord, in the end, in the end, God will be honored through it all. Calvin Coolidge, 30th President of the United States, served 1923 through 1929, grew up in Vermont. He was not a, your classic politician. He was a man of very few words. He, he had common sense. He had great, strong character. Even after his presidency, he remained very popular with the American people. And Calvin Coolidge was remarkably cool under pressure even that day when a letter was handed to him when he was speaking in Los Angeles that warned him of a plot to assassinate him. And Coolidge, when he saw the note, he coolly handed it over to his guard with just five simple words. He wrote, guess this belongs to you. First Peter 2.21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Friend, did you see that? Did you hear that? Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. That word example in the Greek, it means to copy. It means to pattern after. And the pattern is Jesus for you and I. That's how we should live our lives. We're supposed to be copying the character of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.22 says he never sinned. Jesus never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Now here's Jesus under tremendous pressure. He's being tortured, beaten, mocked, spit on, humiliated. He carrying, he's carrying the sins of the entire world at the same time. Incredible agony. And verse 23 says, he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And when the threats came, Jesus turned to his father and he says, this belongs to you, Father. You take care of it. When he was treated unfairly, he said, Father, this belongs to you. You take care of it. And Maybe in the midst of all this chaos and storms, Jesus was always under control because he committed his case and his cause to God the Father. And maybe right now you're under attack, you know? Maybe you're facing pressure. You're being treated unfairly. Maybe you've been wounded emotionally and it's, you're going through a very tough time. Perhaps... No other time in your life, as now, you have a great chance to experience and demonstrate the difference Jesus makes in your life, the one who judges justly. And so, when the hit comes on our lives, we need to turn to our all-powerful God and say, Lord, I guess this belongs to you. That's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. That's what we can do. And Father, this morning, thank you for the encouragement that Paul gives to us today. Thank you, Jesus, for being our great example. 
Hmm. Help us to model our lives after you, Lord. Help us to be courageous and bold in our walk. Help us to be that light and salt that you have called us to be, Lord. We need your help. We need your help, Lord. And today, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Man, he is here. And you can say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Sin will keep me away from holy God. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And so, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you forgive me. I receive that free gift right now, Jesus. And help me to live for you the rest of my life through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, thank you for being my Savior. You rescued me from a life of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.